discussions of music, healing, and consciousness with your hosts Chris Noble and Bill Perotsman. In today's episode, we're talking about music and long-term healing, especially from Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACE. Chris and I offer examples from our very early musical lives, unpack how music worked to help us, and describe the ways that this awareness grew into an intention and then a practice for our well-being. We offer several helpful ways that you can turn music into a tool for your own healing and support those with evidence from the neuroscience community that extends beyond the head brain to the heart and soul of everyone's human experience. We think you'll be delighted with the opportunities you have to put music to work for your own good. We'll be talking about all that and much more, as always, in these open conversations here on Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness. What were we going to talk about? So, okay, so three... Two, two, one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's try that brain reset again. The last time it didn't get us anywhere useful. <laughs> well, it did, but not where we want to go today. <laughs> well, okay. You know uh, what? I, I love what you sent me here today. So for those of you listening, Bill sent me a, an email about the adverse childhood experiences and how music essentially helped him. And he knows as well with my story, helped me basically survive some of the really tumultuous times in our childhood, teenagehood, young adolescence. And well, of course, this expands into the rest of our lives. But today, we want to focus a bit more on the earlier parts of our lives and how, uh, how we've all gone through challenges, of course, as a human, as a human being, it's, it's part of our story, it's part of our journey. But we encountered some amazing ways to help and heal and cope with uh, the craziness, you know, the the tumultuousness, the massive r- racking of insecurities on your whole being uh, growing up. And I mean, I think it's a brilliant uh, thing to talk about. So thanks for, for sending that to me, Bill. Appreciate oh, yeah. Thank you, Universe, for dropping. I forgot where I found it this morning, but it, it just hit me. And, you know, obviously in, in our time period right now, we're dealing with things like the aftermath of the Buffalo shooting, um, there was somebody shot up a church here in California on Sunday. Uh, there's weird expressions of stuff going on. And according to the psychologist, basically, it all tracks back to whatever happened to us in childhood. And we all have those experiences, right? And, and then they stay with you. They just, they're part of who I am, part of you are. Part of, if you're listening, is part of who you were. And the idea here is not to go out and wipe all that stuff away and just sort of, you know, reset the slate. It's history. It happened. And it happened for a very important reason, which as traumatic as it was for all of us many times, <laughs> right, mm. is necessary for uh, bringing us to where we are today. And so I don't want to suggest in any way that we're going to talk about how to erase ACE, you know, adverse childhood experiences. We're going to talk about the transformation that takes place uh, even in the moment, you know, like Chris, both and you, both you and I have these childhood stories of music. How even in that moment the transformation takes place. But I'm still learning from all that stuff, you know, from 40, 50 years ago. I'm still learning from all that stuff. So I anticipate it's going to continue. Uh, why don't we like just drop a couple of them in here? Just whatever comes yeah. to mind of how you found music uh, minding you as a kid. And I'll think of one too. Well, for me, you know, I started playing the piano when I was six years old, which was basically grade one, I believe. And um, that's kind of when I started to have a really hard time at school. 
And I'm sure lots of people can relate to times when they went to school and just didn't fit in or felt so many different forms of uh, pressure, trauma, you know, uh, aggression, violence, or just emotional violence or emotional um, manipulation. I mean, a million different things. We can all think of so many, so many moments. So many. Or, Or maybe it's hard to think of them because we've actually blocked so much of them out. I have like some major gaps in my memory from childhood because mostly from school, from from just some pretty, uh, yeah, difficult experiences. But I remember it all kind of started for me around grade one onwards. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that's when I started playing piano. And I would come home from school on uh, any any particular, uh, quite, a, quite a lot of days. It was definitely in the majority. I would say most days of the week I would come home and just be feeling pretty, pretty run down, pretty, pretty beaten down by, um, the world around me, which was my school at that point and feeling very misunderstood, feeling not really, um, valued as a person and so many other things, but whatever I was feeling, I would just pour it into the piano. And for those listening, I had no idea what I was doing on this instrument. I didn't take lessons until, Maybe I was around 10, 11, or 12. I think closer to 12 years old is when I started actually taking piano lessons. So yeah. I, had about, I had about five or six years of just knocking around on this instrument, not knowing a damn thing about it. And I was just quite literally playing that instrument through my feelings. And I would just find different combinations of notes, you know, that I loved, how they felt, you know, like a the difference between like a major chord and a minor chord and just little small things where like a nice melody just, I would just play the white keys on the piano. For those listening, if you've never played piano before, you can make beautiful little melodies and songs without having any background knowledge at all. Just play the white keys, simple, done, or just play all the black keys. Um, you're playing a scale at that point and it's all going to sound good no matter what you do. And that's what I did. And I would find these different combinations and I'd start kind of writing my own little, very simplistic, basic songs. And these songs helped me (laughs) get through a lot of things. And I could just feel every day when I would sit at the piano and do this, I could just feel almost like a like a a waterfall of emotion just coming out of me through my hands into the keys and like the, the instrument itself almost transmuted all of this uh, emotional energy from my, from my physical body and my emotional body. And it, and it made it, you know, did it make everything perfect and okay? No, not necessarily. There's other things I had to start implementing into my life to, to make my life a bit more enjoyable, but my God, did it, did it help me and, and honestly make or break in cer- certain situations, me like totally losing it? Absolutely. You know, yeah. like it, it, it helped me immensely. I honestly don't know. Sometimes I've had moments where I look at music almost as a, as a, as a person, as an entity. And I just go like, I, (laughs) I love you so much. You have been there for me every, every step of the way. And I literally don't know if I'd be alive today if it wasn't for music. So it was essential to my upbringing. We've got to unpack all of these stories because I listening to yours, mine's going to be pretty similar. I think if we can get to how that happened in a way that other people can take that and use, mm. then we'll really have something valuable here. Because like you, I was, music was the go-to place. My family had this emotional range of like, you know, half an inch. <laughs> <laughs> can relate there. Yeah. And, and, and you couldn't be anywhere outside of that was not right, right? You couldn't be sad or angry or scared, or you actually couldn't be too happy, you know? Um, 
which explains why I love going to Disneyland because Disneyland is free of emotional range. <laughs> but that said, so I, I had, the, I was I, the more that I learned to play the piano, um, which was a total drag from when I started until around fifth grade, uh, the, the more I began to question this strange disconnect between the allowable emotional sort of human range in my family and the and vast range of emotions that are available in music. So, you know, by the time that I was playing, you know, Beethoven and Brahms and some of the big uh, romantic composers and stuff like that, it was all sort of weird to me because I could get Mozart, right? I understood Mozart, he kind of fit within the range, you know, and Bach too. Obviously, since then, I have a deeper understanding and appreciation of the emotional depth of Bach and, and Mozart. But it's hard to miss when you're playing Chopin or, you know, Beethoven or Brahms and then Rachmaninoff. It gets big. Mm. And it just didn't make any sense to me why I could have these incredible experiences, emotional experiences within the music that were completely not even something I could discuss at the dinner table. It didn't, it didn't make any sense. And I've, I'm still living with that in, a, in a many different ways. But as a teenager, when you're going, wow, you know, I can feel all this stuff. And there's no other resonance for this except the soundboard of my piano. Like nobody else gets this. Uh, you don't have language for it. I was in my 30s before I started to learn how to talk about emotions in English, you know, let alone be able to understand others. Mm. But that was a huge sort of gap. Um, the psychologist would say that my parents were emotionally unavailable. I wouldn't take it so far as to say that it would, there was emotional abuse, but certainly that neglect that you feel is like, what do you do with your feelings? Like, who understands me? Who gets me, right? I completely connect with you there because in school, it was the same way. There are very few people that have that emotional depth uh, early in life or even as teenagers. Um, heck, I know adults have never had it and they're great yeah. people. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you are experiencing this vast range of emotion and there's nowhere to take that in terms of a human conversation, it feels very lonely and isolated. And I spent a good portion of my early life um, isolating sort of with intent, not feeling that there was safety in the world for being able to be this big emotionally, unless I was on stage. Yeah. And there I had the equipment to deal with it well, <laughs> which explains, I guess, a lot of why I was somewhat successful in, in doing that. But the cost, you know, so I'm still learning how to pay that cost in ways that are satisfying, uh, especially in relationship and human relationships. Mm. Really difficult to, first of all, come to a point in your life, you look back and go, oh my gosh, that happened to me, right? That's, that's when the lights started to come on. I was in my thirties before that happened. And then, you know, fast forward another 30 years, still trying to figure it out. But isn't that the purpose? I mean, at the end of the day, people, right? We're, we're all here to figure it out, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And Chris, for you and me, it's music and how that integrates, you know, in life in a way that is bigger than just us being okay, but sort of offering that as a gift to other people to come through the door and experience music at a deeper level and how that works. Um, Go ahead. I, well, I was just gonna say, I don't know if what I had qualified as adverse childhood experience, but we didn't have any diagnoses for anything back then. Right. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like we had the DSM, what are we up to six or something now? Maybe they had DSM one. 
it's just it's like we we can we we can prescribe or not prescribe but we we uh, diagnose everything now we have a diagnosis for everything and i think in a way it's i guess good to have language for it but at the same time it's also it can make it feel like oh my god i i i I was this, you know, I had ADHD. It's like, or I was just bored out of my mind. Yeah. And and I had a very vibrant personality and a very, you know, I didn't like, like school is a great example of a, an, an institution that boxes you in to a way of learning that maybe only 10% of people actually learn well from. Oh, amen. And, and so the rest of us are just sitting there being like, what in the heaven's name am I doing? Here and, I and I and I and I get me out of here, yeah. um, you know, literally. I, so I was just like, I was living to get out of school every day. I was just like, get me out of here. Sure and so you know, so that's half of it was just me having to go somewhere five days of the week that I ultimately just despised for so many different reasons too. And um, sure, there were some some nice aspects of it, but ultimately, it was it was not a great experience for me. So, you know, music was. An incredible outlet. And I think for those listening, you know, it's not just playing music. We've talked about this so many times in other episodes where it's listening to music, of course, with intention. And man, did I, I just as much as playing music helped, it was also just putting on my headphones and, and just drowning out the world in, yeah. in whatever I was needing to listen to at that time. And it was a huge range of different types of music. I, I would, I found myself immersed in it because I, I could get just as immersed in a movie or as I could music in a sense of like it, it created a whole environment around me and I could just close my eyes and just go there. And it, I was totally using it as an escape, of course. But, you know, even though escaping from things we know now isn't the answer, it certainly helped a lot in my youth to at least have a, a, a place that I felt safe in a place that I felt at least understood and, and I could feel like yourself this wide range of emotions without being hev heavy, heavily judged <laughs> yeah, yeah. from and a lot of different people. Exactly. Or, or told to feel something else. Yeah. You know? Like what you're feeling isn't right, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, why aren't you happy? Yeah. Well. <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> exactly. Not that I had a response, but it's like that, you know? Somebody yeah. comes along and says, so what's the problem? Uh, but immersion in that uh, does something, I think, that neuroscience would agree with. I'll be, go out on a limb here. But I think that when you're in the musical space, even if that's background music, like mm. as benign as it possibly can be, there's music in the background, something is able to reach into you and get to the subconscious part of you where the answers are, right? Not the analytical number crunching zeros and ones, you know, grinded out bits and bytes, an analytical part of you, but the part that responds to intuition and inspiration, the part that is connected to empathy, like all the good stuff, all the part that makes human beings really human. Human. And, and music is always tickling that in some way. And by being immersed in that, you and I, I think, develop, so whether they're conscious or not, but practices of enjoying that, right? Yeah. And, and wanting to be there and being open to what happens when we're there. Because that can be scary for people, you know? So if you go for the first time, say you're, uh, say you go for hypnosis and you encounter the intuitive side of you for the first time, hmm. that can be a real shock. But if you've been minding it the way that Chris and I have, and whoever else is listening to music a lot, whoever has that stimulus of music 
is familiar with this. There's a, an easier way in. We've trained ourselves, I guess, in a way, but just maybe training isn't the right thing because it isn't like training. I could say uh, you, in training, you know. Yeah, in training. That's brain it. And, brain entrainment when you listen to binaural yeah. beats. Like we, we actually are shifting our consciousness when we listen to music in that way. Yeah. I mean, even if we're not aware of it, right? Mm. Even if it's just, and think of what awareness happened. So did you have like an, a moment where you had the awareness and all of a sudden it started to make a little more sense? Oh, certainly. I mean, it was probably a series of micro moments, right? That would build up, yeah. you know, and I, and I would, you know, maybe, maybe a little older, like, um, hitting around maybe 10, 12 years old or something, 13, maybe just the beginning of puberty and all that fun, fun part of, uh, growing up oh, yeah. too. Great ride. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I think around then was really when I started to understand the depths that, uh, music can take you on an emotional side of things and just really started to almost, um, it's kind of like uh, when you're when you're first learning swimming and you're only in the shallow end, and uh, and then all of a sudden you finally like practice, practice, practice. You do a whole, everything you can do in the shallow end, and it's great. But then you eventually get to that point where you're like, okay, like what else is there? And then all of a sudden you can get into the deep end. You can dive deep, and there's so much more depth and so much more going on. And sure, it's a little more dangerous too. It's a little more scary. But it's also a lot more fun and a lot more invigorating. And that's kind of what it felt like for me. It was just, there was like a tipping point where music then all of a sudden just became like, oh my God, this is literally like limitless emotional exploration and support and uh, just almost at, like affirming my emotions too. Like listening to songs yeah. that, you know, like pop songs or any song that maybe lyrically um, – can reaffirm what you're feeling like a breakup song, love songs, or just angsty songs. Like I hate the system or whatever, where you're just like me too, you know, yeah, like yeah. Hank, I'm so glad I'm not the only one, you know, and having that kind of camaraderie with, uh, with a person you've never met, but you listen to their music and feel, and feel so connected. I, I would feel more connected to the musicians that I was listening to than most of the people around me in my actual life. Just I felt because, that as well. Yeah. They, they were saying things that weren't said anywhere, certainly in my house, and rarely, but sometimes at school. Yeah. The school exactly. I was at was pretty straight-laced private school, too. So, you know, <laughs> there's a lot that happens under the service in a straight-laced organization. Yeah. But lyrics and music are one of the beautiful ways of being able to, well, I wouldn't say say things that are unpopular, but to, to speak the truth. Speak the truth. It's exactly it. You know, they artists are the are the prophets. I've heard that used before, where it's like artists. You know, in all senses, not just of course music. This all expands to all the art forms, but you know, it's a it's a way to communicate to people in an in a more abstract way these these ideas and and these ideas can be pretty, you know, like pretty forward thinking. They can be pretty so many things you know like some people say like the beatles helped bring down the berlin wall you know like their sure. music of their music of revolution helped spark a whole movement and you know that's because instead of just having someone getting up on a, on a stage and yelling at you to to think a certain way through music it's like it's such a different way of delivering the same message you know and you can you can hand it to people on such an attractive platter <laughs> for, you know i take it you're not a big fan of wagnerian opera <laughs> well you know it it did influence all the film scores we listen to today so i had i went to see one i had <laughs> never been 
And it was exactly what Chris just said, everybody. It was like somebody standing on the stage yelling at us. <laughs> I love a good opera. Don't get me wrong. But I know I do too. Opera. And I've learned, you know, oh. I've, I've taught myself how to appreciate that stuff. <laughs> you know, the first time, if you're going to opera for the first time, don't see like, you know, Wagner, go see Mozart or something. That's yes. Yeah. You know, it's like cool. the first time you go to see a play, it's probably great that you go to see Shakespeare, but you know, it takes a lot of homework. So see something yeah. easier. So see something before. a little lighter first. <laughs> yeah. You know? Start out slow and then, and work your way up to Wagner, whatever. But you yeah. know, this is so important because the um, wanting to consume music is a different sort of a mindset than listening to music. Mm. You know, I was always amazed in school how hard it was for me to memorize things, but I could memorize music like right away. Yeah. Lyrics, chords, whatever, boom, done. <laughs> and, you know, it's the same brain, but the engagement in music is so much more complete than just memorizing a list of facts, right? Because you've got, you've got everything they're working on you emotionally in the music. There's a there's a physical sense of hearing or experiencing the vibrations. Like well, we, when, we also know music occupies a different part of the brain too. Oh yeah. Right, with, through Alzheimer's. And well, you know what? I, I, and this is, I, I, I almost went there, but I stepped away from it because of the whole left, right thing is sort of getting blown apart now. Oh, is um, it? Yeah. And, and um, they have physical evidence on this. So, uh, so what Chris is saying is true is like we process music in a different place in the brain than other stuff. But uh, the, the coolest thing, uh, this comes from a book called uh, Live, Live Wire. I think it might be Live Wire. But the science on the brain is that if you remove some of it, the other part of it figures out how to do the same job. Oh, interesting. Right? So they have plenty of evidence. People like with a half lobotomy, they took out the left hemisphere or something. And the right hemisphere figures out how to catch everything the left used to do. Wow. Right? Wow. And And... This is cool to me because it means that the brain can adapt, like physically Plasticity. adapt. Yeah, Plasticity. and and it does it well. I mean, it's not like you're disabled in any way by missing half your brain, <laughs> which you would think you would. <laughs> which you would think, but yeah, if, if you remove like the visual processor, then some other part of it figures out how to process visual, and um, it, it gets really weird because then you get to places where um, blind people riding bikes are a thing. Yes. You know? Yeah. So I never laugh anymore when I feel the braille on the drive up ATM <laughs> because yeah. it's quite possible. So um, our, this whole thing about how one part of the brain is assigned one job and that's all it ever does is starting to feel like even that is a little slippery. And perhaps in musicians, well, maybe just in listeners, more of the there's a wider envelope into which sound falls. Mm. You know, it's not just falling into the audible processor. It falls into the audible processor and the physical entrainment processor and the emotional uh, sort of stimulator and the, you know, the spiritual open-minded, whatever connection to the intuitive. And I think that by doing it more, we strengthen those pathways. I think too with music, it's it's hitting again our heart, and we know our heart is also a brain now. Oh too. yeah, heart math, so, heart math, and and brain heart coherence, and like the idea that the well the the information now that we know that the heart has similar neural pathways as the brain. Yeah, and so and when you think about emotion, and it always feels a lot of the time it's very much placed in your heart. I wonder if the sort of brain of the heart 
then also, you know, that's why you're retaining things a lot easier sometimes with music. Or I was going to offer as well to those listening as well. I mean, mean, this is a music podcast, so obviously we talk about music, but this really does expand into not just all the other arts, but I would argue anything that you're passionate about. When you're passionate about things, you just remember it better because you care more. Yeah. You know, and you and you retain things better when you care about them and you also know why you want to learn them. When you're just memorizing useless facts to regurgitate on a tech a test and then never use again, where's the motivation? <laughs> exactly. You know, so no wonder it's harder to me- remember because you're like, I don't care and I'm never going to use this again. So what's the point? Why you know? do it? Yeah. Why do it? But when you're passionate about something, like you'll you'll have a great memory of like, you know, uh, how to design uh, maybe something architecturally because you care about it and you might lose the blueprint, blueprint but remember, remember the entire thing anyway because that's how your brilliant, passionate mind about uh, woodworking or architecture works, right? So it's the same thing with music. It just, that was the most modality that for Bill and myself, you know, was our passion and and the thing that we saw and gravitate towards just because it just seemed like the coolest thing ever. And that's what we wanted to get to know and understand more. But it's, I think it really can expand to anything that you really deeply care about. Sure. I've met programmers who say the same thing about coding. Right. Exactly. And surfers who say the same thing about surfing, right? It's, it's that passion, that, that openness Mm. to engage with the process. Um, I guess I can tell a little bit of a story out of school. I won't, it, it isn't necessary to go too far into it, but I know surfing for my kid was how he dealt with ACE stuff. Mm. And, and that's perfect. You know, why not find a passionate thing that connects you to, to reality or to, you know, brings you close to who you are and, uh, and whatever that is, it's good. Oh yeah. I, I can relate there too with, uh, you know, I, I think I had, almost like a two-pronged approach, which was music, incredibly important for like the intuitive, emotional side right, yes. uh, of my life. And then sports and athletics were the other side of like really getting more f- like physical, like being in the body and almost being in a meditative state when you're doing those sports because you have to focus. So you're one-minded a lot of the time when you're surfing, when you're playing hockey, when you're playing soccer, whatever it is. I, I love sports for that reason too, where it was, it was just... I got to turn off the rest of the crap going on in my life and just be like, well, yeah. I, I got to focus on this game right now because this is, to me right now, super important because I'm passionate about it. That practice of learning to bring attention is so vital. And like we were talking about a few minutes ago before we got onto the recording here, social media is so ADHD. It's like the scattershot of attention is incredible. You know, the, the, the spotlight doesn't stop very long in any point one five, mo- point 0.5 seconds, <laughs> yeah, 0.5 seconds. And then it moves and, yeah. and that's fine. But if you're someone who needs to focus, first of all, you know, don't waste your time with social media, but having said that, <laughs> if you're someone who needs to focus and you need a modality to, to help you bring it, to bring you in, to slow you down and make you stop, uh, there's lots of ways <laughs> of doing that. <clears throat> Probably the most benign, most effective and safest is to have a music practice. Mm. I, I'll, I'll just go out there on a limb and say it. I have seen this with other practices too. So, you know, let's be honest. And art is a good place. Obviously, yeah. dancers have it made. So do singers because they can carry their own music with them. You can sing and dance. Yeah. You get the physical, you can make your own music and you're in, you know, the real sweet spot. So, mm-hmm. Go triple threat people. Mm-hmm. 
but it doesn't, you don't have to be a triple threat person to do this. The, the, the runner's high, that's available in music too. Uh, there are ways to use music to get so completely physically drained and tired out that you'd be amazed that you can still stand. Play the drums. Play the drums, go to a hip hop <laughs> class. Mm. Um, you know, jazzercise, of course, aerobics, they're out there. Everybody uses music for that stuff these days. Yep. Even hit or whatever those like uh, boxing, yeah. boxing yeah, beats those, and stuff or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th this is a great journey of exploration. You're not stopped yet. You're not stuck. Actually, and, um, sorry, one thing I've noticed yeah. too with uh, bringing in these ancient modalities, we, we talked about meditation and breathwork and other ep episodes and something I've been encountering recently, experiencing and being a part of the facilitation is breath work with, with music and adding in like yeah. really fun, dancey, groovy um, beats behind the breath work. And you're like, you're breathing, but you're, there's so, it's so musical that every time you take a breath in and out, you feel like you're actually contributing to the percussion. Yes. And you're like, it's so primal. It's so fun. And you don't have to have any musical background to just put on a, a specific breath work track and groove to it and you're like oh my god i'm getting oxygen i'm doing breath work which we all know there's millions of benefits to that but then the music behind it, you're like oh yeah and they're kind of half like dancing half breathing half you know it, it's a really uh that one's a really powerful one i've been uh, recently really enjoying too there's so much you can do i'm i'm so down with this and and the kinds of the the, the, the world we live in right now is so amazing for musicians because there's functional music out there for all of this stuff. It takes a, a minute to find it, but once you understand that it's there and know how to look for it, you can do all kinds of things with music that nobody was thinking about doing, I don't know, 20 years ago at this level. Yeah, it's amazing. And they're whole composers. I mean, you know a bunch of them. Whole composers that do nothing but write, you know, like breathwork music or, you know, psychedelic trip music or whatever it is. And it's very specific. There's a ton yeah. of running music out there. Yeah. You know, um, there's an amazing app, uh, Brian Eno, famous uh, like Grammy Award winning producer. Um, he put together, I forget the name of this app, maybe you know it, Bill, but it is brilliant. Basically, it, you you basically, uh, you type in what, you're, what activity you're doing. You could be running, you could be doing yoga, you could be doing breath work as far as I know. But the app also does take into consideration um, when you're moving as well, because it's, you know, as everything does, reads your GPS and all that stuff. And it can, it 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 changes the speed, the BPM, the tempo of the music, depending on what you're doing. It changes the mood of it, depending on what you're doing. And so it's like this app that almost continuously creates music for the different activities, but also has like really, I think, beneficial frequencies, maybe some, some other things going on. But I listened to it and it was so interesting how it morphed and formed into the different... Um, exercises that I was doing with my friends at that time. And, and it was because it was Brian Eno, it sounded awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it was just really interesting. I just looked it up, generative.com. And there's apps for Apple and Android devices. But um, yeah, do, I mean, do that. Calm is out there. There's, yeah. oh, there's a bunch of these different apps. I'm not a big fan of using apps for holistic human stuff. But it's a great gateway for a lot of people. Yeah, who, it's, that's true. It's the gateway because once you learn to practice, then you get rid of the app. Then you, yes, exactly. It's like that dating app that, you know, you've seen all the commercials <laughs> for that, the one that you want to go away. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it designed to, to be deleted, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so do that. And, and, and we can do this now. I mean, we didn't have this technology, what, 30 years ago, 20 years ago? It's pretty new stuff.
and the acceptance of it is universal. I mean, I, I don't know anybody out there who's complaining about Brian Eno's app for adaptive <laughs> music for everything. Awesome. Yeah. Right. It's like, go people. We, we can do this now. Right. There's no need to suffer from your ACE symptoms or whatever they might be. I mean, clearly if that's happening to you and get help for that. Well, it's happening to everybody on some level, right? Like we can't ignore the fact that we've all had, it's, you know, I have, I've been hearing a lot of things with, you know, trauma in general, because it's like, you don't want to give your trauma too much attention either. It's like, you don't want to ignore it. You don't want to suppress it. We know all the negative ramifications of that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But on the flip side, I feel like in this new age of every, a lot of healing modalities and things coming out to heal, some of us go on the extreme of the other side. And it's all about healing, 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 healing. And then you actually end up bringing so much attention to the trauma that it's it's questionable whether you're actually just exacerbating the trauma more by, by, play, by also giving it all this power and being like, this is this deep wound that's like destroying my life right now. I'm like, is it? Or are you making it do that because yeah, you're yeah. telling yourself that it's doing that. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. There's a bit of a it's, a, it's like with everything, it's a balancing act, right? Oh, it is. And, you know, I get what you're saying because there's a certain sort of a status that goes along with having a double diagnosis, mm. you know, and it's not a status you want. Believe me, people. No. <laughs> but moving through that. So the way that post-traumatic stress disorder, which is still the way it's listed in the DSM, the research on it says it's more like post-traumatic growth mm. and that the traumatic moment is there to spark us into do, doing something else. It's like, it's the energy the brain needs to make a change, but holding on to the trauma is not the purpose. Yeah. Right. And, and, and stuffing the trauma is not the purpose and trying to manage the symptoms is not the purpose. The purpose is to go through the rabbit hole. Mm. Right. And as you do that, things change. But you got to have a practice for doing that, right? Whether your practice is music or drugs or whatever, whatever the practice is that takes you forward, it's a decent practice as opposed to a practice that keeps you stuck. Wow. You know, and hanging on to your diagnoses is, um, you know, not, unfortunately for all of the people who are getting disability right now, based on that, um, this is a catch 22. It's really tough because, you know, who wants to be disabled by their issues if there's healing available? You know, it's like sometimes it's great to just cash in on the disabilities when you can because, you know, here's the thing. And I'm saying this because it's like you don't want to take advantage of it when there's other people that need it. But when you do need it, you know, I, I actually qualified for PTSD disability um, compensation for my uh, for my government here in Canada. And although the program actually got dissolved, like almost right after I qualified for it, which was lucky for me, I still got to get it, but then they got rid of it. Um, it was, it was great because I, I put it all into like 11 therapy sessions and some sound therapy sessions. Yeah, and those yeah. were instrumental in, in me getting, not only getting through the PTSD, but like you said, um, growing from it and evolving from it. And it, it, it was a really traumatic event that didn't become something that was my big trauma that was, you know, holding me back. It was actually something that propelled me forward mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, it was also helpful to get a little compensation from that. So that's when the diagnosis is like, okay, cool, diagnose me, but I'm not going to wear that label like it's actually yes. me. I'm writing yes. it down on this form so I can get a little money so that I can go into therapy and I can get all these things right now that I Which otherwise helps, right? afford. It helps so much. And that's, see, see, that's skillful use. As far as I can say, that's really skillful use, but like taking a lifetime disability when you're 25 and never, ever changing, you know, 
whatever it was that messed you up that way. Um, we all have our different paths. So blessings to you. If that's you, blessings to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you're still with us because a lot of people just take the exit right away when it gets tough, you know, and oh, yeah. I, I've been there, you know, maybe three times in my life, I've seriously thought the suicide was the best way out. It's but, understandable. It's the crazy you know, world we live in. It's there's an insanity, right? And I mean, all you have to do is look around, look, look at who gets elected, for example. <laughs> um, is that a reflection of, or could it be a reflection of our adverse childhood experiences? That we pick somebody who's that familiar, you know? I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing here. I mean, everything's a reflection in a sense, you know? And I think it's also how everything that, the way we, we move through our life and perceive things is in a way affected by our reality of, of deep, you know, from childhood onwards, you know? Sure, like yeah. It's constantly shaping and forming our perception of everything, you know? But at the same time, you know, today, tomorrow, you can wake up and everything can change. Everything. Oh yeah. And so everything like, that you thought was the complete package, the way it was supposed to be one prick and the balloon is blown up and yep. quantum leaps all, always possible. So that's the thing. It's like, I try not to, it's so important to recognize the things that are, are, you know, causing us lots of dis ease and lots of, you know, um, hurt and pain and suffering. But at the same time, you know, also opening up to that fact that like it could change tomorrow for anybody. And I mean, on any level, even oh, yeah. if you've got physical, um, horrible things going on, like cancers or whatnot, even that can change overnight, be gone. And I've heard so many stories of this. All you even have to do is go onto like Dr. Joe Dispenza's website and read his case studies of yeah. people that have done his meditations and have cured, you know, tumors, cancers, um, disabilities, blindness, yeah. you know, or even crazier things like people who do these past life regressions and do these really deep hypnosis regressions into other timelines, which most people would roll their eyes at even the concept of that, whether or not you think it's true, the result is some of these people literally, I mean, one of the cases was they cured their blindness. Another person cured their cancer. Yeah. I mean, these are big, big, big things. And because these traumas that we latch onto and we, when we latch onto them and they, and they become a defining part of our story, not that we're conscious of it most of the time, a lot of the time it's subconscious, but it's there that can literally manifest into these really horrendous physical things. And I would argue that most of the problems we have with our physical body all stem from emotional turmoils that we just have yet to work through and grow and grow from, not necessarily heal, but to grow from, which I really like how you said that, Bill. I grew up in a religion that was about spiritual healing and uh, kind of things that happened are remarkable. You just, you have to think, whoa, is that, possible obviously it's possible yeah and it's more and more prevalent today you mentioned joe dispenza there's so many people who have benefited from the change of mind maybe mm -hmm. yep that results in better health and you know i gosh i love the world the work that esther hicks is doing around the law of attraction and the movie the secret just offering people an option you know where there wasn't one before and the the potential for being able to live that option fully. I mean, to, to accept that healing, whatever it is, to accept the change that comes along with it. Wow, we're at a place that that is happening so much in so many ways. So I was going to ask, when did you sort of develop a music practice, not just practicing the notes, but 
do you remember the point in your life where you realized that it was something bigger than just making music? You know, that's a great question, Bill. It's like, I don't know if I was consciously aware that I created my own music practice because I, I did have a music, music practice well outside of just learning the instrument and getting better at the instrument. I, I definitely in my teenage years, I, I would just be playing music always for this, this feeling of joy, this feeling of expansion, this feeling of, um, you come back from a really hard day of work or school and you're feeling heavy. I think we can all kind of relate to that. Whatever the emotions are, it's heavy. You're feeling tired. You're feeling run down. And I would just have almost always like the go-to thing for me would be go into my, my music room and turn on some, probably turn on other people's music on the speakers yeah, and yeah. play, play to that or, or actually plug in my mic and just do karaoke time and sing to it and, uh, or sometimes dance to it or whatever it is, but just feeling those, those songs, the songs that you just need to hear that day, like that just speak to whatever you're going through perfectly. And, and you feel all of it. And like, sometimes I'd break into break down into tears. Sometimes I'd be laughing you know, it would just be expressed in so many different ways, but I, I would always go into my music room and find the songs that I needed to express. Sometimes it was me going on the piano and, and creating something new. Sometimes I needed to just be really, really creative in that moment and, and let it out. But it was always going into the music room and connecting and, pl and, and plugging into it and unplugging from my life. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of the practice, but it wasn't, you know, something how you've gone, you know, how you have this whole modality of, of making that a practice for people. I, I didn't have the conscious awareness of that, I think, till honestly, much more recently. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, it didn't, you know, I, I knew what was happening, but making it a how-to, one, two, three yeah. kind of thing that would work for people other than myself, um, more recent, like last 10 years or so right. on that. But watching it happen repeatedly for so many other people. So when did I start doing my own practice of music, like in a, in a therapeutic way mm. or an inspirational way, like, like you're describing, not actually making it, but taking a step back and allowing music that I need to find me. And, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know if I've got a defining moment for that, you know? I don't think you have to, but like, do you know roughly when, like what moment in your life where it started to happen here and there and kind of. You know, I was really conscious of that when I um, was working on my music degree. Uh, I have a bachelor's in music. It's not a master's. People say you get a degree. It sounds like a master's, but it's not. Um, I don't want to teach, so I didn't get a master's in music. Mm. But when I was concertedly working on this, I realized that there were two things I had to do. And one of them was what my professors wanted. I needed to play a certain number of songs. I, they had to be from, you know, like this organized way of this is the degree track and this is what your recital is going to look like and all that. And I, I knew that I had to do that and it was okay. But the other thing that I had to do was my way, right? And so I convinced the professors to give me a sort of a double recital where I could do what I do the way that it feels closest to the bone for me and then do a second recital that was what they needed to have done for academic reasons. And they're like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I can do this, <laughs> you know? And it was a pile of work, but it was like you were saying, it's the, it's the work you have the passion for. And it doesn't feel like work when you're doing that. 
and you know, it, it, both performances were fine. But I think that was the moment where I realized that there was a sort of a duality here in music itself. And that my job was to help bring that duality closer to being the singularity that is me, you know, and how I approach music and do things. And, and that started me on a conscious awareness, which turned into a practice. So that was what, 1998, 99, not that long ago. And, and being aware of it that clearly for the first time um, is probably the biggest benefit, I think, of having done that music program, you know. I wonder if those listening to have have had moments where you hear a song for the first time and it just brings you somewhere so profound, so deep, so yeah. so moved in such a it's such an incredible way, whether it's to tears, to joy, to to whatever, or you know, takes you to a whole other environment maybe, or to a place in your past or something like that. And like that that ability that music has, and especially when it's it's in like the first time you hear something so magical, you know, it's just it's a great example of of it's such an amazing tool that if we can just harp on, so, we got a lot of things that I think we want people to take away from this podcast, but oh, I think yeah. one of the big ones, you know, certainly with this episode, is that you know this is an amazing tool that we all have access to. Music is free to listen to for almost anyone in the world. And we got to use it. You know, we've we've got a we've got a we've got a lot going on on this planet, a lot to look forward to, but of course, a lot of challenges as well. We gotta we gotta overcome and and collectively come together to overcome. And it's gonna be every day. You know, we're gonna we're gonna encounter a lot of challenges. And what can we do in in these times? Well, we know there's tons of modalities, but one of the easiest things, you know, is like just to really start to lean on this thing called music, you know, whether it's sometimes, you know, we get into the functional music side of things where if I'm really having a hard day and I just need, I just need something like I might go lie down for a moment. I'll, I'll go full fledged and, and type into Spotify or YouTube, like, um, healing frequencies for uh, physical pain, for emotional pain. I can get even more specific for grief, you know, yeah, or yeah. for, well, you can get really specific, type that in to YouTube, to Spotify, to where, wherever you listen to music. YouTube's pretty good, actually. I'd say they're one of the largest databases, but, you know, streaming apps too are great as well. You get usually different stuff on them too. And see what comes up, try some, and then just kind of favorite and like the ones that resonate the most with you. Create a little playlist. And I know I'm probably describing a little bit of the homework you give your clients, Bill, but like essentially that's a great way that you can now start to like tap into these really, really helpful frequencies and, and pieces of music that you can use in a very, very functional way. And they can, they can do a lot. They can really like even help reprogram the cells in your body, your DNA, all this stuff. So you got that side of it, but then you have the other side where it's like, you know, you have your playlist of, of, of sad songs, happy songs, you know, um, energizing songs, N name, a, name a, a state that you want to be in and start compiling songs that get you there. And they're going to be different for everybody, of course, right? Um, different nostalgic feelings, different, all these things, but like start leaning on, on music in a way that, you know, perhaps you never thought was possible before, because I think you'll be pleasantly pleasantly surprised i gotta echo that because the difference between music is you know entertainment out there and music as a tool is that intention yeah and once you learn to bring focus to music uh watch out mm. 
because from that point on stuff happens and it's it's the kind of focus the the all-in focus that you get when you're at a rave or in the middle of a concert yes or um you know when, when you're just absorbed in the experience and when you teach yourself how to do that to a place where even remembering a song will trigger that complete engagement what a beautiful place that is because then you have control again you have agency and you can say to your emotions that come up oh my gosh yes here here you are again anger my friend <laughs> and here's the music that sounds best for you and all of a sudden there's a shift when you bring that focus to it that you don't get if you're just listening to metallica in the background you know totally and now even like, even on touching on background music you can still have benefits from background music. Now there's a oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> there's such a there's such a difference between the two, of course. But when 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 you're not needing that intensive focus, and 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 you've maybe you've already done that now, and now you're moving on with your day, and you and you want some background music again. Think about what kind of feeling you want. Now I, I might again be like, I just need some like today was a hard day, and I, I maybe I went through a lot of heavy emotions, so I want the most soft like soothing music just to kind of like give me a sonic hug. And yeah. just, just kind of remind me everything's okay. I'll put on like some really soothing healing, like sound crystal sound bowls or something going on in the background, and I'll just have that frequency. And I'll and I'll after an hour, I'll just be like, wow, I am so relaxed right now. And like, kind of, <laughs> and I forget why. It's because the background music is like lulling me into this beautiful. <laughs> You've forgotten about everything you were doing and writing and completely whatever. and <laughs> and, like, and gone. <laughs> gone and you know if, that, if that's what you need then great or on the opposite side like recently i've or not recently but a lot of the times i'll love putting on like just classical spanish guitar or something oh, right, and yes that, and spanish oh. guitar for me just like oh like my soul just yearns for it and i get transported to spain or to some of my favorite places i've visited or places i haven't visited that i'd love to visit and i feel like i'm time traveling or geographically traveling when i hear that kind of music and it, and it puts me into a completely other state and it's beautiful and it's amazing so again it's or just soft classical piano that's a whole other thing too so it's like choose your background music appropriately too because that makes a difference as well this this process that you're describing chris is so incredible because all of us, of course, respond differently. But once you find the stuff that dials it in for you, um, you have a real tool. The other side of that is the process because you're going to be discovering things that don't work too. Yeah. Right? And you'll find very quickly that it's not about whether you like it or not. It's just, oh, well, this isn't, this isn't resonating for me. It's great music. You know? Like there are times where I want to listen to Queen, but not while I'm falling asleep. <laughs> right? And, and I know that. It's like, okay. But the, the real plus is that you start to know yourself much better than you ever thought you might. And you realize that that sort of nagging headache probably deserves your attention. Not to magnify it in any way, but just because there's some part of you that's calling out for something that you're not giving it. And it may not be music that you give your headache. I don't know what it is. But you become more aware of the subtleties of you know, the container you write around in hmm. and how to care for that beast, you know? In a, in a way that's more um, aligned with who you are. I, I always wonder if, you know, if it's the physical stuff that's I need to align with or whether there's some consciousness thing that I'm trying to align the physical to. And I realize the impossibility of both of those situations, <laughs> but it doesn't stop me from being curious, right? And mm. um, obviously from our conversations earlier and from a lot of what we know in science these days, what we think is a huge part of what we get. 
And if you're not getting the results you want, you've got one thing to do, which is change your flipping mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and music can do that, but it's not just the mind thing. It changes the heart mind, you know, and it changes the brain heart and it changes the head brain heart and it, all of that. So, um, you know, the, the practice is so much about becoming aware and so little about really doing anything. Yep. You know, it, it does, music doesn't require you to do stuff. Maybe you feel like jumping around or dancing or whatever, that's fine. But it's, it's, very, um, it's very personal in this way. And the delightful thing, which we got to talk about this, we'll do a whole show on it someday. And remember, we've got to sing a love song, right? That's right. Yep, we got to still sing the love song. But the, the delightful part is what happens when two people start to do these practices together. Wow, does that get cool? Right. Does. Oh my God. We'll, we'll definitely have another episode on that. I've already got some fun stories of even when you're creating music with other individuals and you're locking eyes during that time. A lot of the time it's, you don't always look each other in the eye, but I've been performing with some of these really like highly activated spiritual people. And they're like staring at me and I'm like, okay, Chris, try to like maintain some eye contact here just to see what happens. And it is trippy. Isn't that cool? <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. God. <laughs> That's how Rebecca and I met. Really? Yep. Wow. In a band. Doing oh that. God. Yeah. That's the best. Oh, it's so crazy. It's, That's beautiful. It's, yeah. It's beautiful love. Oh, isn't beautiful. that a great way to connect through through music, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if there's another. <laughs> you know, I really don't because somewhere are it's vibrations that connect us, right? And even the so vibrations true. that we can't hear and can't see is there's still like aura vibration stuff going on and heart vibration stuff going on. And like the, all of that beautiful music that we don't perceive yet, really, is what brings us together. Thank you for listening in on our conversation and for taking time to show your appreciation with a like, share, or subscribe. Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness is a practice of spontaneity and we welcome your comments, ideas, and questions. There are ways to connect with us in the show notes, so let us hear from you. Until next time, this is Bill Protzman along with Chris Noble wishing you great musical health. Samara Huchaya.